0: Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here is a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. For the past 12 years, I think it could have been longer, but I know for the last 12 years, we have included water baptism, in our Easter Sunday worship service. And like Adam said too in the announcements, it's a wonderful way to celebrate both the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of new life of people that find Christ. Uh, What happens though is a lot of times we'll just give a two or three sentence introduction from it uh, on, on Sunday morning just to introduce where it's going. But what I felt led to do, instead of the traditional Palm Sunday and the waving of palms, we're gonna dunk. We're gonna talk about water baptism. I'm going to hopefully give you an entire concordance worth of scriptures today so you understand the biblical context of water baptism. Because I believe many churches look at this as a Christian ritual. Well, this is a nice ceremony we do after you give your life to Jesus. This was not a ceremony in scripture. This was a bold declaration that they are now no longer following their sinful ways, but they're following the one, Jesus Christ. So I don't wanna miss the significance of what we do. In fact, my heart's been challenged this week of trying to figure out, I haven't talked to Nevin about it yet, how to figure out how to get that thing filled out more often so as people come to Jesus Christ, we can start to live out the pattern that was set in the New Testament Christianity. So we wanna look at that and not just preach a message, but actually live this stuff out. So this is my invitation to you. If you have been born again, you're, you, you're following Jesus, you were, you've been water baptized, you believe you, you've gone through the significance of that, then I want it just to raise your level of faith for other people when they get water baptized. You can actually be praying for them as they go under the water. If you've been born again and you were water baptized, but you, you did it to join a church or you did it to you know just to, to, because your spouse was doing it or your brother or sister or whatever, I offer you an open invitation to be water baptized based on true biblical context of what it is. And then anybody else that's just recently come to the Lord, I think Pastor Todd said we have 10 candidates already uh, for next Sunday morning to celebrate. So the offer is out there. This Wednesday at 6 o'clock, Pastor Todd's going to go over the logistics of how this works on a Sunday morning. If it's too big for the conference room, uh, we'll just move it out here to the sanctuary. We're going to give you practical ways to communicate to the church if this is something that's in your heart to do. John the Baptist introduced water baptism as an outward sign of inward repentance. Some of the uh, scriptures are gonna be up there, but if you wanna turn with me, in fact, if you're interested in in studying this out, grab a note, the notepad in front of you, just write down these verses. You'll honestly have almost every scripture in the Bible after today dealing with water baptism. In Matthew chapter three, it says, in those days, John the Baptist came. He was preaching in the desert of Judea, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus had not started his ministry yet. John the Baptist was the forerunner for Christ. So John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament prophets, even though it talked about him in the New Testament. In verse five, it says, people went out uh, to him from Jerusalem and all over Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Now, this wasn't the first time we saw forms of baptism. It's not in the Bible, but in Judaism, in ancient Judaism, they would call baptism a lot of their purification rites. So if they, if, they had, if they touched somebody with leprosy or a corpse or something going on, they weren't ritually or ceremonially pure. So they would wash their hands, their arms. It would be more like a ritual that would allow them to be pure. Later on, as Gentiles wanted to convert into Judaism, they had a form of water baptism, but nothing like what John was saying. Now he's saying the kingdom of God is near. It's about to come. Repent of your sins. Turn away from your sinful lifestyle and be baptized. So if you look at that word baptism, it means to dip in or under, to immerse. So if you look at what water baptism is, it's full immersion under water once you believe in Jesus. Now I am aware uh, that other denominations, they'll sprinkle. Or they'll pour. But again, if you just look, if, if you forget about what denomination is what. I'm not speaking against any other church. What I'm saying is this. Just look in the Bible. When you see sprinkling and pouring, you see it in the Old Testament, the priests cleansing themselves so they can operate in priestly duties. In the New Testament, anytime time someone came to Jesus Christ, they were dunked completely under water. Now, churches didn't have tanks like this, but we've seen people, even Dan Moeller, when he was here, he he talked about how they baptized people in pools, in bathtubs, anywhere they could get water to fully immerse them, because we believe in the power that water baptism can have. All right? All right, now we see Jesus. Jesus was actually baptized in water. Now, Jesus did not have to repent of any sins. But Jesus was doing it, and he said, to fulfill all righteousness. So later on in Matthew chapter three, starting at verse 13, it says, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. John's like, no, please, I need to be baptized by you, and you're coming to me. But Jesus replied in verse 15, let it be so, it's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus didn't need to be born again, Jesus didn't need to repent of sins, but look what happens as soon as he was baptized. It says as soon as Jesus was baptized, it says he went up out of the water. Well, to come up out of the water means you had to go down into the water. It's a full, just study the word out. It's a full immersion. We dunk everybody underneath. If you were a bad sinner, we'll keep you under longer. I'm just joking. We'll get you under and come back out. We were joking, Pastor Todd and I were joking this past week. Uh, I, when I was first <laughs> started baptizing people, I took somebody under, and then when they came up, like just the top of their hair was still dry. I'm like, oh no, did it stick? Like they didn't go all the way under. We put them all the way under them. Look what happens. It says when Jesus came up out of the water, it says at that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And then a voice came from heaven, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. What, in all intents and purposes here, Jesus received the Holy Spirit at that time. Holy Spirit came upon him, and then right from there is when he goes out into the desert and begins his ministry. So if we see this significant moment that Jesus had in water baptism, and the significant moment that John the Baptist had with many people, we can understand that it's still for us today. I also know, you know, the other churches and other denominations, what they'll do is they'll baptize infants or children. So they'll they'll sprinkle water or they'll maybe pour some water. Again, I'm not speaking against them. What I'm speaking is for what happens in the Bible. If you follow out either what happened traditionally in that time, and you even see it with Jesus, is when that child was seven days old, they would bring the child to the temple, raise him up to the Lord and dedicate him, consecrate him to the Lord. It was also a calling out that the parent would raise that child up in the admonition and the fear of the Lord. So what, that's what we do here. What we'll do, we'll take children and we'll dedicate them to the Lord. We'll consecrate him or her and we'll dedicate the parents to the task of raising that child. What, it, what the Bible says is we're, we're all baptized by the same spirit into Christ. We are Christ's body. You can't be baptized into a body without you willfully deciding to do that. Does that make sense? Maybe I'm not saying that clearly. Like, you should only be fully immersed in water and water baptized once you have made a willful decision to follow Jesus yourself. You don't get to heaven because your parents worship Jesus. You don't get to heaven because your grandmother worshiped Jesus. Once you choose to follow Jesus, you should be water baptized. So we see here, throughout Scripture, water baptism was extremely important. It was not just a ritual. Follow me. Jesus gives the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19. And he says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Doing what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then teaching them to observe or obey everything that I've commanded you. The very first thing that they were supposed to do as they were making disciples is to baptize people. So somebody would come to repentance, they would come to believe Jesus and follow him. As soon as as that happened, they would look for a body of water. They didn't have to wait for the baptism class, and when are they filling up the tank again? They went and looked for water. It was their first sign, their first act of repentance. Another form of the Great Commission comes in Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Jesus says, go into all the world, preach the good news to all creation. Follow this. It says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. This is aggressive language here, right? They're putting these things two together. Now, of course, we don't believe that going into the water actually saves you. It's confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that God raised him from the dead. That's what we believe regenerates your spirit. But he was telling them, listen, Whoever believes in me and is baptized, we will see the full effect of their walk with Christ through that experience. In fact, Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. This was the very first day that the church was born. And he says in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, he's in the middle of his sermon, he says, Repent and go to church every week. Now, repent, read the Old Testament, be nice to your mom. All these things. No, they're all important. But what he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If we look at water baptism just as a simple ritual, it's something nice that we do because one of the pastors asked us to do it in a membership class or during, during you know, uh, mentoring. You're going to miss the significance of what God can do as you are water baptized. I want you to see this. There was no unbaptized believer in the New Testament. It was a part of conversion. If you're writing notes down, I want you to, I'm going to give these to you quick, but there was no excuse to not be water baptized. Nobody, nobody, not that I read in scripture yet. Maybe you have a translation that would say it like, well, I'm, I'm nervous getting into water in front of all these people. I don't want my hair to be messed up. I have to come to church after that, right? You didn't see any of that. You saw people giving their lives to Jesus and then water baptism. This is in the New Testament. I'm gonna share with you, right? If you're taking notes, I'm gonna go through these. These are all instances of people giving their life to Jesus and baptism. Acts, these are all gonna be from the book of Acts. Uh, Chapter two, verse 41. Chapter eight, verse 13 and verse 16. Chapter 8, verse 36 through 38. Chapter 10, verse 47 and 48. Chapter 16, verse 31 through 33. Chapter 19, verse 5. Chapter 22, verse 16. Read those verses. Read the context of where they are and you will see how absolutely important water baptism was to that act of repentance. If you think about, at least in the American church, I don't know how it operates internationally, but we actually use a different measuring stick than the Bible used. Today, what we do is we measure their salvation based on the sinner's prayer that we'll have like at the end of a service. Do you guys understand what that is? You know, I I admit that I sinned against you and so on, and I, I believe in it and so on. But what actually happens though, if we put all of our uh, weight on that prayer, or you raise your hand, you look at the pastor, and now you're, we're saying, okay, you're saved, yeah, I'm saved, okay. You'll come forward. There, there, there was not a sinner's prayer in Scripture. There wasn't like a prayer that they repeated out. Jesus didn't say, repeat after me. Jesus, now, Peter, Peter was preaching in front of thousands of people on the day of Pentecost, and he wasn't like, clear the room, come forward if you want to receive Jesus right now. He didn't do that. Do you know what he said? Repent and be Baptized. This has really challenged me. I believe in the raising of the hand as an act of faith. I believe that if you pray the prayer, that we will give you the opportunity to pray at the end of this service. If you pray that with your heart, you're confessing Jesus as Lord. I do believe that you're born again. But if we're following what happened in Scripture, the immediate following, the very first act of repentance should be water baptism. So think about the clear difference in the American church this means I'm saved. All throughout scripture that meant I'm saved. That's a big difference. But there's power. There's power in this act of water baptism and that's what I want to go through with you today. In Acts 2 verse 41, Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost. It says those who accepted his message they were baptized About 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, I do not know how they administered this. I don't know if they brought them into the waters a hundred at a time and just said, dunk yourself, go under, go out. I have no clue. I just know that at the beginning of that morning, there were skeptics and there were people that saw, that heard that the Holy Spirit had come in. They heard them speaking in other tongues, and some walked away saying, these people are drunk, right? Peter says, it's nine o'clock in the morning. That's not what it is. Let me tell you what it is. And he preaches a message to them. And it says, he's saying, repent and be baptized. Every one of you, every single one of you. It was a repentance and water baptism. Later on in that verse, it says that the ones who believed his message, which I would assume would have been All of them that believed were then baptized. I love the picture of that, 3,000 people walking home soaking wet that day, right? They had no hair dryers, no place to fix your makeup after you went under, no change of clothes, even though we do provide that for spontaneous baptisms, we have changes of clothes for you, don't worry about it. But I do, I picture that, I I picture the wife that went out early that morning and came home soaking wet and the husband's like, what in the world, did you fall in the creek? Like what happened? Or the teenager brother and sister that came home and the mom and dad are are fighting and they just come home and they're just soaking wet. They start talking about this man named Jesus that they decided to follow. There was power in their water baptism and there could be power in your water baptism as well. What I want you to see is this. Water baptism, it was their point of contact for their faith to be completely renewed by Jesus to be washed clean of all their sins and to have a resurrected life. It's a point of contact. When you go into the water, like the Holy Spirit's not swimming in the water for you, waiting, so when you go under, it's just like He gets you, right? It's a point of contact for their faith. Another good example of this, in Acts, you'll see, it says that people would lay their sick. This isn't about baptism. It's a good example of That the people would lay their sick along the roadway So, as Peter's shadow passed by, they would actually be healed. So they're laying down, Peter's walking by, his shadow's touching people, and they're literally getting up, completely restored. Did the shadow, did the sun coming and stopping on a person's body, reflecting a shadow, did that heal them? No, it's their point of contact of their faith, for their faith. So, what water baptism should be, it's not saying I'm getting saved as I go under, it's saying, I have repented in my heart. The very first thing I'm going to do is go through water baptism. I'm going to connect my faith to this thing to say all my sins have been washed away. I've been completely set free from death and judgment. I am now living the resurrected life. Now, so to the level that you attach your faith to that experience, that's the level of what you'll experience, right? If you you believe, if you attach your faith that Jesus forgave some of your sins, guess what you'll do? You'll live a life believing he forgave some of your sins. If you believe you attach your faith to this thing that all of your sins are forgiven, you'll walk set free. Just like if you believe, you know, that your boss can ruin your day by anything he or she says, you attach your faith to that, guess what? The greater level you have in that, the greater level you'll experience anger every time they say something. It's what, it's your point of contact of faith. So if we go into that tank believing that you are being absolutely, positively set free from all of your sins, from all the judgment that God could ever pour out on you at the end of time, that will be a powerful experience for you. It's a point of contact for your faith. I wanna go through two parallels in the Old Testament that will help you understand New Testament water baptism. I'm gonna give you verses from the New Testament, but they refer back to baptisms symbols of baptisms from the Old Testament. The first one is 1 Peter 3. The screen, I think, starts at verse 20, but if you want to turn there, I'm going to camp out here. 1 Peter 3, I'm going to start at verse 18. It says, Christ died for sins once for all. The righteous, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. One translation says to bring you safely home to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he, pre- he went and he preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. So watch what's happening here. This first verse I just read is about Jesus dying one time for all. That's why you don't get dunked more than one time, right? It's a declaration, you've died once with Christ. He died one time for all of our sins. He was righteous, and he died for the unrighteous. That's what happened in his death. And then it makes a transition over to God being patient for the unrighteous people of Noah's day to turn from their wicked ways. But guess what? They didn't. So it says here, in it, this is in the days when Noah was building the ark, Only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not by the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So follow some of these verses out here. Christ was righteous and he died for the unrighteous. This happened in the New Testament, right? So that anyone who would accept his message would have life in him. In the Old Testament, there wasn't somebody to die for the unrighteous. So what happened is God actually baptized the earth. And in his baptizing of the earth in Noah's day, only eight people survived. Do you know how eight people came through that? Because they were the only eight that were righteous on the earth at this time. So follow the first baptism that we see. God baptizes the entire earth until everything is utterly destroyed. And at the end of this baptism, there is only righteousness that remains. All unrighteousness is removed. In this very first baptism, death was the result of all of this unrighteousness. Now in the New Testament, baptism is a result of one man's death for all unrighteousness. In the Old Testament, many people had to die. In the New Testament, only one had to die. But we get to experience this. So when we go down into this tank, we're saying, I'm being washed away of all of my unrighteousness. Not by my own doing, but by my faith in Christ. And as I come up out of that water, all that is left is the righteousness of Christ. Oh, well, I'm nervous. I don't go in front of water. I don't even swim. I mean, think about what's going through our head. No, 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 no. When I go down into this water, it is a declaration that all unrighteousness is being removed from me and that only the righteousness of Christ remains. I want to get baptized again. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the power. Of this, If you want to write down Genesis chapter 6, I'm not going to read them. Through Genesis chapter 9, you'll actually see the account that 1 Peter's talking about. In Genesis chapter 6, it says that Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless. Then in verse 11, it says the earth was corrupt in God's sight, full of violence. And he says, I surely am going to destroy both, uh, both them, people, and the earth. Make yourself an ark. Forty days, the flood kept coming. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. Only Noah and his family and the animals were left. In chapter 9, listen to this. In chapter 9, we see the covenant promise, right? We see the rainbow. I want you to get this. When you see a rainbow after it rains, I don't want you just to think, oh, that's really nice. We're never going to be flooded again. I want you to think this. That was the, la- the, only, the first and the last, the only time God will ever baptize through death of many people. I want that rainbow to be a promise looking forward to the new baptism, looking forward to the one righteous person that walked the face of this earth that would die for all of us unrighteous to make us righteous. That's what the fullness of the promise is for the rainbow. He'll never baptize the earth like that again. He'll never remove all of that again. There's one final judgment that waits to come face to face, but we have the answer already. We have the opportunity through Jesus and the glorious experience of water baptism to seal that deal. So you could follow that out through all the way through. If you look at that, our baptism, water baptism, is a sign of death. Do you understand that? We can celebrate it when we come back up. It's our, it's a sign of death. It's a sign that you are dying to your old self. You're dying to your old ways. You're dying to your selfishness. You're dying to all the filth that led up to that. Right? And even, um, even kids that they get born again at a young age, they need to be taught the biblical context of that so they never turn to those wicked ways. That they'll walk in the righteousness that God has for them. So if you're still in 1 Peter, starting at verse 18, it says that Christ's death brings you home to God. That one translation says it brings you safely home. So if you look at this verse, being at peace with God, being at home with God is what your true calling is. It's where you belong, it's your true home. So God's calling people who are far from him back into his family. I love what Dan Moeller said a few weeks ago. He said that the baptism water is the womb of God. That's the birthing tank of God. That's, that's what signifies the birthing. In fact, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, if you wanna write down John chapter three, I think it starts at verse three through verse six. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he says, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. He's like, what do you mean by that? He says, unless you're born of water and spirit, you can't see the kingdom of God. He's like, how do I go back in my mom's womb? Can you picture like Nicodemus asking this to Jesus? I'm really, Wait, how is that going to work here? How do I have to be born again? He says, no, no, no. You're born of water and you're born of spirit. So if you follow this through, just like the woman's water breaks forth at the birthing of the child in the natural, the waters of baptism burst forth as someone comes forth saying, this is a new birth. This is a new creation. We can't miss some of these natural to spiritual uh, illustrations that God has put before us. So is the woman's water breaking the actual birth? No, it's a sign that a new birth is coming. Just like when you go in the waters. That's not your new birth. That's the declaration. That's the bold decree that new birth is here. we attach our faith to that, 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 that could be the most powerful experience you have. I believe in ongoing sanctification. I get this. I believe that you learn to grow in God, and you learn to develop in Him, and you learn to hear His voice. But I'm telling you, we're missing what could happen in that tank. We're missing that addictions could be broken off in that tank we're missing that all the filth that somebody walked into if we teach them this and you actually grab hold of this in your faith to say listen when i go down into that tank and i come back up i will be a new man i will be a new woman and your faith is in that in christ of what that experience can do just imagine what could happen yeah in verse 21 of first peter chapter 3 it says this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you. Obviously, again, just to clarify, because I know there are different doctrines, we do not believe that going into that tank is what saves you, but we do, we need to re-understand the significance. Jesus said, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Peter says, repent and be baptized. This thing was tied in hand in hand. The best illustration, I already gave it to you. What we usually call a raising of a hand or walking down in in, in most American churches, what it was for them. The very first declaration they were Christian happened in water baptism. I want to camp out in verse 21 just for a few minutes? It says that when you're, basically baptism, it says here is a pledge of a good conscience toward God. In a little bit more of a literal translation, the NASB, it says that it is an, an appeal to God for a good conscience. <laughs> so watch this. Baptism is an act of faith saying that the old is gone So now my guilty conscience is gone. It's not just that you have been set free. It's that you should start thinking differently about being set free. This is what scripture is saying. Water baptism. It's a pledge of a good conscience toward God. So that means when you're going down into that water, you're saying, God, when I come up out of this water, I'm not going to be guilt-ridden. I'm not going to live life as just a victim and and all these things happen to me. I'm not going to live as a sinner. I'm not going to live thinking about the way I used to live. I'm accepting the power of God in my life, being sealing the deal right here in the waters of baptism to clean my conscience. That's power. And it's not just about your sin. If you have a clean conscience, that you won't look in the mirror and say, I'm ugly, I'm dumb, I'm stupid. You won't live under that anymore because you have a clean conscience before God. You won't be lied to by the enemy because it says in these waters of baptism, you're appealing to God that you have a clean conscience. And even another layer of it you've been abused, you've been hurt, you've been dealt with the wrong way by a parent, by a boss. By a sibling, you have wounds, you have scars. What you can do is go into that tank, believing, attaching your faith to Christ, attaching this as a point of contact that when I come out, I will have a clean conscience from those experiences. So you know what happens? You're no longer riddled by bitterness and anger toward all the abuse that happened to you in the past, but you also let forgiveness flow to them right? If all the junk is left in the tank of water baptism, then you don't have it to carry through the rest of your life. And that's from scripture, that water baptism is a pledge to God or an appeal to God for a clean conscience. Dan Moeller also said when he was here, when he was talking about water baptism for the gentleman that was baptized, he says, if you can't be judged by the past, why are you letting the past judge you? See, so you can believe all that the moment you get born again. I get that. I'm just saying in Scripture, it's saying, when you get water baptized, you're saying, I'm coming up with a clean conscience, God. If you're not judging me by the past, I'm not letting my past judge me any longer. In fact, if you look at a few of the verses about a, a clean conscience, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13, it talks about the blood of goats and bulls, the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those. It says, they were used to sanctify them though they were outwardly clean. It says, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from the acts that lead to death? They're saying, listen, Jesus did it all already. Everything he did when we put our faith in him, it cleans our conscience. And then in 1 Peter, it's saying, through that act of baptism, you're declaring to God, I have a clean conscience before you. I have a clean conscience with myself moving forward. In Hebrews 10, it says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. It's the act, the faith in Jesus, the act of water baptism. It even says here, baptism, it's more than just a symbol. It's more than a ritual. It's actually putting on the character of Christ in, Gen- in Galatians Three twenty-six. It says, "You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ, or through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ." Now, picture this: when you have really dirty, stinky old clothes on, and you want to put on nice, brand new clothes, do you go to your cupboard with all of your old clothes on, and do you put your new clothes over top? right, that'd be like really uncomfortable, and then you'd still stink, right? What do you do? You take off all of the old to put on the new, and that's what he's saying this is. When you go through the waters of baptism, you should be understanding when you're going under, you're taking off the old so that he can put on the new. Again, the righteousness of Christ. I going to go through a second parallel quickly. It was the crossing of the Red Sea after the exodus. If you want to write down Exodus chapters 1 through 15 tells the full story. Specifically, the crossing of the Red Sea happens in Exodus chapter 13 and 14. I want to give you the New Testament explanation of what happened in the Old Testament here. It's another image, a picture of water baptism. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 1 and 2. It says this, I think it's on the screen. It says, I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they passed through the sea. Talking about the protection of God and the leading of God when they, when, they left, uh, when they left Egypt through the Exodus. It says they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now when you learn about this deliverance of the Israelites, they were held in captivity in Egypt. You saw miraculous signs and wonders that Moses did. Moses is a type of, of Christ. He's the great deliverer as Christ is now the deliverer. So it's saying here they were all baptized into following Moses. It's a picture of New Testament baptism. What we see is the, the Red Sea spreading its way, spreading its, its side so they can get through and be completely delivered. In fact, that's what a picture of this tank is. If you look through what happened in the Red Sea, I think I made people nervous. I asked them to uncover this. Like My wife and some other people were getting nervous. They're like... I know you're busy, but baptism isn't until next week. I said, I I know that. This is just an example. But if you look here, they're in Egypt. The Israelites are in Egypt and they're in captivity, okay? When they turn away and Pharaoh finally says, get out, he saw the plagues uh, affecting these people. Once they walked, they were walking away from Egypt. They were walking away from slavery. They were walking away from what bound them. As they're going through the Red Sea, it is as they're being baptized And what they're doing is they're going through what once wanted to judge them, condemn them, and cause them death. They came back up out of the other side. They actually had a spiritual experience. They started singing prophetically. Follow it out, you'll see it. And then once they went past that, they, they went to Mount Sinai, where they committed to following the Lord. Now, they did that part wrong, but they still committed to following the Lord. So if you look at New Testament baptism now, you're turning away from the world, right? You're repenting of all the evil, wicked things that you've done. When you come into this tank through repentance, you're saying, all that would judge me, all that would condemn me is being washed away. When you're coming up out of that water, you're having a spiritual experience, right? You're saying, I know when I was born again that I've received the Holy Spirit and now I'm committing to follow Jesus the rest of my life. That's the picture between the Red Sea and water baptism today. If you want to turn with me to Romans chapter 6, we'll finish up. I want to show you just a great, great explanation of it in Romans chapter 6. We're going to start verse 1 here. Paul says, What shall we say then? Sometimes it's it's better to go back into the old chapter 5 to kind of see where they're picking up for the sake of time. It says, shall we go on sinning so the grace may increase? By no means. He says, we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? See, there's actually an expectation. There's a faith that we should have that when we come to Christ, we've died to sin. We should not give sin allowance in our life. So if we sin or when we sin, there's true repentance. There's quick confession and repentance. When you make excuses that, well, I'm just human and I'm just this or that, and you continue to walk in a, what we would call like a bad habit, but it's actually sin. When you make excuse from that, what you're saying is, I'm putting more faith in my humanity than I am the finished work of Christ. Right? But if you give no excuse for sin, and then you confess it and repent of it, when the the Holy Spirit convicts you of it, then your conviction, your faith, is attached to that you are dead to sin. So how can you live in it any longer? In verse three it says, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Baptism is a statement of death. If you have died, then you no longer live for yourself right? All of your selfishness, self-centeredness, and greed goes out the window when you come out of that tank. You say, I've died to myself. It's a declaration of death. In verse 4, it says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life listen when you're getting dunked into that tank you're dying to your old self again it was already done in your heart as you confess the lord i'm not saying it's happening right then that's a point of contact for your faith as you're going down into that water everything that you've done all the evil wickedness mistakes whatever you want to call them it's sin is going and it's dying you're actually dying the death of Christ as you're coming down, as if you were nailed on the cross with him. He carried all your sins to the cross. So you're going down, dying, and you're coming up and saying, I'm now experiencing the resurrection of Christ. That's, that's what water baptism is. I'm dying to my old self and I'm coming up, resurrected with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Brand new life, brand new beginning, a start over button got hit on your life somebody could say well the thief on the cross wasn't baptized right or the question can come up well what if i confess confess jesus is my lord and then something happens and i die and i never i'm not not baptized this isn't a heaven or hell issue look at the power of water baptism quit making excuses and look at what the bible says can happen during water baptism Instead of seeing what we can get out of, let's see what we can immerse ourselves in and actually experience deliverance, healing, set free from past bondage when you attach your faith to what can happen in that tank. In fact, in Colossians, you don't have to turn there. I wanna read a few more verses in Romans. But in Colossians 2.12, it says, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him, through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. What's happening? When you're being baptized, right? You're dying with him. You're being resurrected with him. But it's through your faith in him. If you go into the tank because somebody asked you to go into the tank to join a church somewhere, you're not going to experience that deliverance. You won't actually live out that. That entire experience is based on your faith In the power of God and what the power of God can do through that. In verse five of Romans six, and we'll close here. Actually, we won't. I have one more verse to read after that. I have several more verses. It says, if we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. I mean, that's, come on. All the sin that you would have been judged for. Picture if you never came to Christ and you stood face to face with him at the end of time at the final judgment and the accuser of the brethren is there and saying he did this and this and this and this. Picture all that weight that would be upon you face to face with the almighty judge and what the, what the condition is of your eternity would be. And he's saying, through this baptism, your body of sin is dead. It's gone. It's removed. Such a beautiful, beautiful picture of going down into that water. It says in verse six, or later on six, it says that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin so when you go into those waters of baptism you reckon yourself dead to sin and because you're dead to sin you're no longer attached to it think of what a slave a slave is attached to a master you know what happens when you become a saint you become a slave to righteousness you become attached to a new master you're going into those waters to say all those shackles are being cut off and I'm being attached to a new master In verse 8 of Romans chapter 6, it says, Now if we died with Christ, we belong with Him, or we, we believe that we also will live with Him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over Him, nor us. The death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And I'll close with these last three verses. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. I believe some people, some Christians, let sin, sin reign in their body because they've never attached their faith to what Christ truly has done for them. And it could possibly be a powerful, powerful experience in that tank for your very first time. It says, do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness because all unrighteousness is gone. It says, for sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under There really are just a few choices after hearing these scriptures. You either are born again and you've been baptized and it just raises your level of faith when you see somebody else being baptized and when you teach a new believer, when you're mentoring and discipling a new believer and teaching them the power of water baptism and how quickly we should get people baptized. The second is that you've been born again, but you've never been baptized in water. Maybe you've made an excuse of it, but if you see, if your faith is, has been increased because of this, that you contact the church, you come this Wednesday, and that you go under this Sunday, expecting for there to be more life change than you've seen in the past. Maybe you were baptized for the wrong reasons. Maybe it was to join a church or to do something because somebody else told you. I'm not saying you have to be baptized three and four times. Please, if you, if you fall away from the Lord for a month, you don't have to come back and be rebaptized. I'm saying... Like, I, realized I I did not see any of this. I was just baptized because my aunt asked me to. Like, what, you know, whatever it is in your life, maybe you know God is absolutely calling you to do it. And the third thing, really, the third way to respond is if you know that Jesus isn't your Lord and Savior today and you know you want to turn your heart to him, guess what? We have water baptism next Sunday. Perfect timing. Perfect timing. I just want you to bow your head with me for a moment. I do just want to ask, if you know, without a shadow of a doubt that you are right with God, then I want you to work that out with Him. If you haven't been baptized, I'm I'm asking you to consider scriptures and to be baptized. If you are not sure if you're right with God or you don't remember a time when you said, I am following Jesus, I believe Jesus has forgiven me of my sins through the shed blood on the cross. If you don't remember a time you've done that and you're not confident that you're right with God and you want to make that decision today for the very first time without any waiting, no music, no low lights. I just want you to raise your hand and we are going to touch base with you and we are going to follow up with you. I just want you to raise your hand to acknowledge. I want you to look up at me to acknowledge that you want to make that decision today. Father, we just pray right now that you would increase our faith in the power of our baptism. We thank you, God, that the decision that's made in our heart makes us right with you, but we thank you for putting this imagery, we thank you for putting this physical act of response in our lives that we can attach our faith to to see life change. Father, we pray even over this next week that you will usher in through your love through your kindness. Many people that have once called Central their home, but they've fallen away. That once have called you their Lord and Savior, but have fallen away. Father, we pray that you would draw them into this house or into houses across this region that are Bible preaching churches. We pray for many to take their next step with Jesus next week. Father, we pray specifically for people who you send here, that they will receive uh, the challenge to continue to stay plugged in and that you will do a mighty, mighty work in their life over these next four weeks. Father, we commit it to you. You're the only one that can do this work. We pray for your blessing as we leave today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.